Welcome to the Parenting with Impact podcast with your hosts, Elaine Taylor-Klaus and Diane Dempster, co-creators of ImpactParents.com, an online community, award-winning blog, and service organization, helping parents all over the world to raise complex kids become capable, independent adults. Elaine and Diane are certified coaches with personal experience raising children with challenges such as ADHD, anxiety, and more, and extensive experience in guiding parents to raise their complex kids with confidence and calm. On the podcast, Elaine and Diane interview experts, bringing you cutting-edge information about your child's challenges, teach you real-life strategies to create lasting change, and demonstrate how coaching can guide you to parent your complex kids one conversation at a time. For the essentials of Elaine and Diane's coach approach to parenting, download a free tip sheet at impactparents.com slash podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Parenting with Impact. This is Elaine, and I'm super excited to welcome our guest today, Stephen Falcom, who is the executive director, CEO, head of, guru in charge of, what's your actual title? Uh, CEO. CEO of FOSI.org. Many of you know it familiarly as that. It's the Family Online Safety Institute. And this is an organization that's been doing an extraordinary job supporting families all over the world um, in this new realm of the digital world that we're living in and how to, how to help families stay safe, take appropriate risks without going too far. We'll talk about that some today and really providing a wealth of resources. Uh, we became pretty aware of this organization a couple of years ago when the pandemic first hit and we were in the middle of providing a digital summit for parents. And so obviously the world has has taken us all by storm and and you, like we've been focusing on these issues for many years. So it's really exciting to see that it's gotten some awareness and that people are really paying attention to it differently. So Mm -hmm. I'm thrilled to have you here, Stephen. It's so great to start this conversation. I want to start by asking you how you got to be doing the work that you're doing. Tell us a little bit about what you do with families of, of all families, including families of complex kids, and how you came to be doing this work. Well, first of all, let me just say thank you so much for having me on. I really admire your work as well. You know, I didn't go to college thinking, I know I want to run an online safety organization because there was no online. Online. <laughs> when I went to college, that's we're talking some years ago. No, I mean, I've pretty much worked in the nonprofit sector most of my career, I did run the National Step Family Association in the UK some years ago. By the way, I've lived half my life in Great Britain. And um, so I've got some a lot of experience of working in the European scene. But And it know, also gives a, you a great accent, by the way. Just uh, a hint of it without being It's too- just a hint. Yeah, as soon as you <laughs> put me in a, with a pint of beer and all, of my, yes. all my British accent comes back. So I was taken on in the mid-90s to run a new nonprofit to rate computer games. And within a year, it morphed onto this thing called the World Wide Web. And so we created a self-labeling system for websites and the means by which parents could block stuff they didn't want their kids to see. And this went really well for quite a number of years until Web 2.0, about 2005, emerged with sites like MySpace where kids were the content creators themselves. And they were creating content we used to try and keep them away from. Right. <laughs> so, and they were doing it on these mobile devices that, you know, up until that point, we used to say, put the family computer in the living room. Mm-hmm. And I mean, doesn't that sound like 
the lovely it, far off days. Uh, I, you, I remember the days of as long as it's visible, it's okay, right? Right. And computers were plugged into the wall and you dialed up, you know, literally dialed up yep. to get online. So all of that sort of upended our work. And it took a couple of years, but I persuaded my board to completely change direction and to create an institute where technology companies, government departments, lay people, you know, we could bring together the academics, the researchers, the advocates to collaborate and to innovate in this new space called online safety. And that was 15 years ago, uh, crazy to say, 2007, we launched it. And you would think it would have been longer ago, but it wasn't that long ago, really. It's been like COVID. It's very hard to know if it's been a long time or a really short time. Right. It's no time. But, you know, I'm pleased to say we started with seven member companies. We're now up to 30. So the big guys, Amazon, Google, Microsoft, Apple, have all joined. But we're a 501c3, so we have some independence from them. And occasionally we'll call them out if we think that some of their products or services or policies need to be called out. Mm -hmm. That's important. Well, you know, when you talk about that advent of MySpace and kids beginning to create the content, I I remember a a branding expert, a friend of mine said at some point that what's different about kids now is that they're constantly self-publishing. I would slightly disagree. There's a a big chunk of kids who are doing that. They're also, I would say, probably a minority who are simply consuming Mm -hmm. and perhaps consuming too much. This is when we talk about over both the concept of overuse, but also oversharing. So the the two ends of the spectrum here, Um, far too many kids. And you know what? Sometimes I'm a kid myself. I stay on YouTube far too long, you know, look at TikToks late at night when I should really be getting my sleep. You know, it's- I mean, you're being human. (laughs) Right? Right. It, It has never been easier to just absorb content. I actually think it's quite a productive and and quite a a good energizing thing for kids to create content, provided, of course, it's not of sexual nature and it's not bullying or racist or hateful in any way. Mm -hmm. But for kids to get, as it were, on the other side of the lens to create a silly TikTok dance or to come up with something that they want to share on Instagram, I think that's great. Because the more that they're in a creative mode, the more in a way they're giving of themselves and they're learning about themselves, again, provided there's some guardrails. Right. Well, and and what strikes me is that, you know, one of the things we run into at Impact Parents is there's a there's a knee-jerk tendency of parents to demonize technology because we see them in front of these screens all the time and we feel that that's pulling them away from us. So what I love what you're saying is the reminder that there's a lot of creative opportunity here. There's there's an expansive world here if we learn how to navigate it well. Right. And there's actually an opportunity for parents and kids to do stuff together. I mean, to actually create silly videos together, do some one of the new dance routines or, I don't know, go online and play Roblox with them. Maybe even film yourself doing it. There's some really hilarious videos of parents being the kids and the kids Mm -hmm. being the parents in the kitchen, calling them to dinner. Um, (laughs) But the parents want to keep playing Roblox. I mean, or even three generational videos of, you know, using grandma and granddad. And, And if it's because of COVID, you have to beam them in then beam them in. But all I'm saying is that is a creative way of using this new technology. Of course, the kids feel 
a lot more at home with the new tech. And this is often why parents feel a little freaked out about it, because it's very hard for any generation of parents, never mind the baby boomers, but all the way through to understand A, the devices and B, the hundreds of thousands of new apps that are out there and available for kids to use. Yeah. Well, and just when you get as as adults, just as when we get comfortable with something, then they're going to upgrade or they're going to change it. And then we have to readapt. And and I don't think I often say that we're transplants and they're digital natives. And so they Mm -hmm. adapt more quickly to the shifts that are happening than the parents tend to. Well, we just did some research last year, the end of last year on teens' use and attitudes of online safety tools. These aren't the parental controls that we've known and loved for years, the ones that the parents impose. These are inbuilt controls in Facebook and Instagram and TikTok and Snap that the kids can use to block, report, silence, and in other words, and manage their own privacy. Mm -hmm. And kids, of course, love these tools. They hate parental controls. But when we asked them about parental controls, 61% of them said that they had to help their parents to establish and set up the parental controls (laughs) to put on them. Yeah, I hear that a lot. And I am absolutely the parent guilty of that. Thankfully, I have a husband who was in the tech industry for a lot of years. So I was able to delegate that to someone else. But it really, it can be daunting for those of us for whom this is not our, our natural language. It's daunting. And the word that we heard more than anything was overwhelming uh, yeah. from parents. Now, there's, there are some very, very simple rules that could be put in place to help with the overwhelm. I mean, Great. we talk about tech-free zones in the house and tech-free time zones. So the tech-free zones are things like the dining room table, assuming you guys eat dinner at the dining room table, or any meal that's there. Laptops, tablets, phones, not to be allowed. I used um, to have a jail that we literally had a jail that phones had to go in the jail at dinner time. We're, we're a big believer in the tech closet. Yeah. So, uh, and this is particularly for nighttime, that everyone puts their phones in the closet at nine or 10 or whatever, that, including mom and dad, I hate to say, because the last thing you want for your kid is to have them, and we see this all the time with a television, a laptop, and a phone in their bedroom Mm. and hope for the best. (laughs) It's just not a good idea. Screens and bedrooms really don't mix. So So you've got, to help with that overwhelm, you've got tech-free zones, tech-free time zones. So tech-free time zones are, you know, half an hour before bedtime. Some would say an hour. That's really, really hard to maintain. But, you know, we say eight o'clock for the elementary school, nine o'clock for middle school and 10 o'clock for high school. And it's, I mean, we used to have to, when our daughter was a little younger, we used to have to take her phone away from her only to discover that someone had given her an iPod touch at school. So we used to take the server to bed with us (laughs) only to discover that she was hacking into our next door neighbor's server because she babysat for them. And of course, they gave the password to her. Of course. Well, you know, you got to give them props for creativity and resourcefulness and ingenuity. She's grown up and doing (laughs) online marketing. What can I say? Of course. Okay. So any other steps to help with overwhelm? We've got tech-free zones, tech-free time zones. I heard you talk about tech closet. Anything else? 
Well, we have something called the seven steps to good digital parenting that you can find on our website okay. at fozy.org. There you can also find an online or a family safety agreement. And the agreement is really important that you don't just come down like the Ten Commandments and say, thou shalt this or that. You sit down with your kid and involve them and engage them. And the most important part of this one-page contract that we've developed are the blank lines that you guys fill in because you want to have this conversation back and forth. What do you think is fair? What do you think should be a restricted use? And by the way, the older kids are very willing to talk about where the younger siblings should and shouldn't go. Yes, of course. And they'll come up with all sorts of creative ideas for you. And, you know, these are rules. And if you have rules, and if those rules are broken, there should be sanctions. And those should be dealt with and argued up front. And again, we used, to, we used to get our daughter to write on a piece of paper what she thought was a fair sanction if we found that she was texting till two in the morning. Yeah. And sometimes she was harder on herself than we were. Usually they are. Usually they are. You know, it, for those of you in our community listening, the, the language that we offer for what, what Stephen's talking about is collaborative problem solving. And so that we're working together with our kids to come up with with expectations that are clearly communicated and clearly agreed upon and clear accountabilities so that when we do that in advance, we can let what we often say is we let the system be the bad guy. Right. Mm. We don't as parents have to be the enforcer because we've got an agreement so we can go to our kid and say, oh, I'm so sorry. You're not going to get your your iPad today. I know you really wanted it, but you didn't do whatever last night. So let's work on it today. I'm sure you can get it back tomorrow. So we get to stay in a place of compassion and connection with our kid instead of being the enforcer when you do what you're describing, which is really have your agreements set very clearly out front and agreed to by everybody. Well, and involve them too, because if, yes. if they get to contribute, it makes them, first of all, feel very big and important. Exactly. If they Then they'll become invested in it. Yes. No, it's, it's all about ownership and agency. Yes. Absolutely. And again, they'll be very good at enforcing their younger brothers and sisters. Yeah. And letting you know when it is and isn't fair. They're very, very good at that too. So Stephen, what do you think that parents, you know, you speak to a general audience of parents. We were talking before we began today about what we mean by complex kids, you know, and I describe complex kids as those who struggle with life or learning or both. And recently we've been talking about, you know, all kids in complex times because all kids these days are complex in some way. What do you think that parents need to better understand about their kids right now in relation to to technology? Wow. I think that two years of this pandemic uh, is taking its toll on all of us, but particularly our kids. And technology for many, not all, but for many, has been a godsend in the way in which it has allowed them to connect with each other. And it could be as simple as just playing a game with another kid from school or down the road or whatever. So, yeah, screen time has gone way up in the last two years. Prior to the pandemic, by the way, everyone was freaking out about screen time. Right. That's and a I think, yeah, what I think we've learned is to make a distinction between screen time and screen use. So screen, if, if, if you're son or daughter is on the phone or on on Skype with grandma or Uncle Johnny down the road. You know, that kind of personal connection is wonderful screen use. But if they're doom scrolling on Twitter or just absorbing TikTok after TikTok, then time for an intervention. 
So let me let me poke at that just a little bit, because we have a lot of parents in our community who are concerned about their kids only having friends online. And the kids are say would argue that this is screen use, not screen time. They might not use that language, but they're with their friends. They're playing games. They're interacting. They're connecting. How does a parent play with that differentiation when this is where their social life is happening? I guess it would be like they're friends in 2D rather than 3D. That's not to dismiss 2D because, you know, I read books, you read books. That's two-dimensional. What we're doing now is two-dimensional. We're not in the same space, but we're having a good conversation. But there is something missing Mm -hmm. and something to be gained when you are in person, of course, COVID willing. And there's a richness that's lost if you're not face-to-face. You don't see the subtleties. You don't pick up the body language and just the ineffable, it's so hard to describe, but the, the sheer presence of another person or, or a group of people. for yeah, that The matter. energetic presence yeah. that I, I hear you describe. Now, one thing, here's a paradox, something we did see, certainly in the early days of the pandemic, and I admit we live in a very comfortable neighborhood, but I just noticed from my, and I'm here at home, mm-hmm. looking out my window to a small park kids coming out on their own for the first time that I could remember. I mean, I grew up as what oh, Lynn Skenazy calls a free range kid. Do you know? Yep, me too. Word? Of course. I'm a big fan. And here, suddenly, kids were climbing trees and meeting up on their bicycles and doing just kid things without us parents helicoptering down or around. Mm-hmm. Partly because the parents were both also, if lucky to have two parents in the house, trying to work. And very happy to have the kids go outside. (laughs) And so kids were given a form of physical freedom that perhaps they hadn't experienced before. Yeah. And to a certain extent, they were also given more online freedoms too, because the days were so unstructured and a bit chaotic, particularly in the early months, while teachers tried to figure out online learning. Yeah. Now, my guess is that slowly that'll erode again now that we're getting somewhat back to normal. I say that in air quotes. I think it probably depends on which state and it probably depends on which county you're in. But we're probably somewhere between 50 and 75% normal, depending. Or whatever the new normal is going to be. Yeah. Whatever that is. Yeah. Yeah. I just hope that is something we don't lose when we do get back to normal. Yeah, I agree. So, you know, what comes up for me, this distinction between 2D and 3D friends, I want to dive into that just a little bit deeper, because in in the community of complex kids, it's very common. You know, you got kids with ADHD, you got kids with social anxiety. It's very common that they may not have 3D friends. And the pandemic has certainly compounded the challenges Mm. around that. Mm. But oftentimes we're seeing kids who are making friends for the first time by doing it digitally. Any thoughts that come up for you around that? Well, the 2D is better than no D. I mean, <laughs> if I had to choose between my child interacting with someone on a screen and not at all, absolutely, I would go for the screen every time. Yeah. Because you do pick up cues. You do get to interact. You, go, you get to see someone else's reaction. It's just simply not as rich, but it is certainly you know, much, much better than no contact. Yeah. And what I would say is for those kids with social anxiety, it may not be right as as rich, but it's often less draining. 
And what I saw as the pandemic started is that the kids with social anxiety were doing able to do school for the first time in their lives because they weren't so drained by all the other energy that happens in a school environment. Oh, yes. We saw many examples of that. Kids really not wanting to go back to school because they found they could really, really focus and get their work done. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) You know, and for us adults, too, uh, we're actually going back to the office starting next Monday. And I'm both really, really looking forward to seeing my colleagues in the flesh again, but I'm also aware it might be a lot harder to just concentrate the way I have yeah. been here. Yeah. And I suspect initially more draining, more just energetically, just exhausting. You know, as my kids will tell you, peopling is hard. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Look, we're all making this up as we go along. Um, yeah. We haven't even talked about the metaverse, God help us. You know, when... <laughs> You know, kids are donning the virtual reality headsets and moving their avatars around social spaces. I mean, one of the phenomenon that's already started to occur on Meta's, what used to be Facebook's Horizon, which is their social platform for the metaverse, you're meant to be 18 plus. But of course, what's happening is kids are using mom's or dad's headsets it's going to say, weren't you meant out. to be on Facebook too? Didn't you have to have a certain age limit back 13, in those days? 13, 13. for Facebook. So dive into to Meta a little bit, a wise one. Tell us what's coming down the pike we need to be aware of. Well, first of all, I, I just wrote a piece yesterday. Um, <laughs> and it's because yesterday was Safer Internet Day. Okay. Um, it's a global thing that the EU We're, started some years ago. We're, we're filming this in, in February, by the way, everybody. So February 8th was safer Safer internet internet day so my article was happy safer internet and in brackets metaverse day (laughs) the metaverse is already here and as somebody once said the future is here but it's not evenly distributed and that's the same with so if you think about roblox for instance or world of warcraft or any of these i don't know if you remember second life from about a decade ago In other words, there are these massively multiplayer games that you can interact with other people and other people's avatars in a virtual world. Mm -hmm. What I guess Mark Zuckerberg and others are shouting from the rooftops is that we are going to inhabit much more of this space, not just to play, but also to work, to socialize, to watch concerts in And it will involve headsets, but it will also involve augmented reality glasses or uh, phones. I don't know if you played Pokemon Go, but there's an early example of an augmented reality app on your phone. You're Mm -hmm. suddenly seeing these odd little creatures walking down the street, which you can capture and so on. And there is obviously a lot of hype about it, but then you know what? There was a lot of hype about this thing called the World Wide Web in 1995. And people were like, oh, no, this will never catch on. Never catch on. And then with MySpace and then Facebook, it's like, who on earth is going to be interested in what you had for breakfast? Well, it turned out over 2 billion of us were interested in that. So whether we like it or not, whether we want it or not, this seems to be the way in which the technology is taking us. Uh, And where we go, our kids will follow. And kids are incredibly adaptive at picking up stuff. I mean, there's some great videos on YouTube of two-year-olds unboxing an iPad for the very first time, never having seen an iPad. 
and within two or three minutes, not only switched it on, but it figured out the browser and is already looking at something on the web. That's amazing. Same is going to be true with the headsets, augmented reality glasses. Our kids will probably lead the way. Now, so the ER docs are safe and secure in their job, right? Because people are still going to be running into walls and. Oh, yes. Yeah. (laughs) I actually think long term, um, it's going to be the augmented reality glasses that went out so that you can actually stay in your real environment. You're not completely taken over by another environment. Yeah, Um, that makes sense. And I think, I mean, I can never stay more than about 20 minutes in virtual reality. It's Mm -hmm. just too unsettling. Your body is like, can we just go back? It's disorienting. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, they haven't figured out the seasickness problem and all this kind of stuff. Anyway, um, we're at the early, early, early stages of it, but our children will grow up into it and not think anything about it. They'll just go, yeah, that's, that's being online. Yeah. Well, you know, I have a, my eldest child is an actor and is a film actor and I'm watching even the transition there. They're in their late twenties where they're starting to look for and take gigs that are internet-based for lack of a better term, where they're starting to become, to get hired to do work in a space that's not, you know, a television or a series or a movie. Yeah. And, you know, voicing in games or whatever, it's a whole new world. Well, 10, 15 years ago, stars were being brought in to voice video games. Right. And that that seemed a little jarring. What is Scarlett Johansson doing in Grand Theft Auto? Right. But, you know, she has great voice. And so, but I, I guess the part about the metaverse is that it will be, we will be immersed in it. It will be 3D. It it will be the as close as it gets to being in person with another person. But my guess is from the early things I've seen, it still will lack the richness of real face-to-face interaction, but it's going to get closer and closer. Well, so so we need to start wrapping the conversation, but but as we close that part of the conversation, any advice for parents on on what we need to be doing to prepare for this reality? Because it's probably closer than we think. I mean, the number two in our seven steps to good digital parenting is educate yourself. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot to handle, but, you know, dip in and there's plenty of articles on the metaverse. You know, I, I'm subscribed on Google alerts to articles yeah. on that and I get six or seven a day. I'm not recommending that at all, but, you know, look in on that. Talk with your kids too. Your kids themselves will educate you a great deal. By the way, if you become interested in your kids' tech use and the places they go and the games they play, they love it and they can't stop talking about it. Like when I go into schools and I'm talking with fourth or fifth graders, I mean, it's almost like I have to restrain them in their chairs. They get so excited. They want to talk Roblox or they want to talk, um, you know, just, just the various games that they're playing. And, and in a way, you know, it's a way of loving your child giving them attention, particularly in the place that they are so excited about as well. Yeah, I, I really, I really honor that and, and appreciate that because so often as parents, 
we get so angry with the technology that if we can shift that mindset and embrace what is it about it that our kids love, that will build the relationship, which builds the trust, which improves the communication, which allows you to collaborate with them and help them have a healthy relationship with technology. Which is well, it's very cool. humbling as well to sit down with a nine-year-old and say, can you explain Minecraft? <laughs> yeah. And they're getting younger and younger. Oh, so yeah. we need to begin to wrap up our conversation. Tell people how they can find you, how they can get in touch with you and find out more resources from you. Very simply, uh, fozi.org. That's F-O-S-I dot O-R-G. Um, there you'll find the good digital parenting section of the website that has the seven steps. It has the online safety agreement. It has safety cards as you buy products and services for your kids. You can hand them this card and say, these are going to be the rules for this new phone or this new tablet and blogs and all kinds of great stuff there. Super, super. F-O-S-I.org, Family Online Safety Institute.org. Of course, it will be in the show notes. We have it on the website. There's lots of resources um, and it's highly featured in our digital parenting resources as well. Is there anything else before we wrap this conversation? Is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners or something you hope parents will take away from today? Hmm. I remember hearing a psychologist speak at one of our conferences, trying to remember his name, and hopefully I'll get it. But he said a very simple statement. And he said, if you lose it, your kids won't get it. And I just thought there was such wisdom packed into that short phrase. In other words, If you lose control, if you get angry, if you get upset, you start slamming doors. And he, by the way, put his hand up saying, I'm the first to admit I've slammed some doors in my time with my teenage son. But if you lose it, they won't get it. They'll just shut down Yeah, and, you know, dismiss you as just being some old fogey that doesn't get it. So just rein in the fear, rein in the overreaction. Yeah. We, We often talk about commit to calm. Right, but come rule the day. So I love that. Thank you. You know, ask our fun wrap any favorite quote or motto that you'd like to share. <laughs> other than, and it may be that your motto is if you lose it, your kids won't get it. Well, but what else? I don't you know. Have? Years ago, a book called uh, Jonathan Livingston Seagull hit the. Yeah. Well, that. trying to remember the author's name there as well. He wrote another book that was nowhere near as successful, but it was called Illusions. Yes, uh, Richard Bach. Richard Bach, thank you so much. It was jam-packed with some great one-liners. One of my favorites. He, I think one of the early ones was, you teach best what you most need to learn. Yes. And I I take that as a motto from my own work, never mind parents trying to teach their children how to get on this. Another one from that book just recalled, um, argue for your limitations, and sure enough, they're yours. Yeah. Well, this I really appreciate you sharing both of those because those are both tenets of mine. And and that was one of my favorite books in high school. And I didn't know where I got them from. So <laughs> now I do. Now you do. We often say in the coaching world, you coach most what you need to learn. That's right out of Richard's uh, right. little book there. Yeah. And with a Neil Diamond soundtrack to Jonathan Livingston Siegel. So <laughs> the whole thing. All right. Let's not go there. <laughs> So, Stephen, thank you for being here, for the amazing work that you and your, your organization are doing in the world, for the support you're providing for parents everywhere. I, you know, I speak for parents when I say thank you for leading the way and, and dissipating the fear for so many parents, giving us a space to really process this new world 
Yeah. Well, thank you. And I really appreciate the work that you're doing, particularly with complex kids. And I I guess I, I myself was a complex kid. We just didn't know it when I was a kid. Me either. Um, so <laughs> I really appreciate the work that you're doing for kids like me. Thank you. I appreciate it. So thanks for tuning in, everybody. Our guest has been Stephen Balcom from FOSI, the, the Family Online Safety Institute, which is an extraordinary resource. I really encourage you to go check it out, fosi.org. And as always, thank you for being here, for being present, for engaging in, in thinking about how you want to be a conscious parent with your complex kids or in this complex world that we're in. What you do makes a difference. Talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Parenting with Impact podcast with Elaine and Diane. For more information on the Impact Parents community or to join Sanity School for Parents, please visit impactparents.com. If you like what you've heard, please share this podcast with friends who need similar guidance and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.